0: The mom to mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. In Psalm
1: 141,
0: verse 3, we read, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. This verse echoes the theme of dozens and dozens of verses in scripture. And I don't think it's by accident that God warns us more than once to watch what we say. Our tongues are powerful, mamas. And as we've mentioned before many times on the show, they can give life. But they also can bring death. I know that. And if you've been listening for even a second to this podcast, you know that. But how do we teach that to our kids? Well, today's guest is here to help. Kate, September, and I are really excited to have our friend Ginger Hubbard join us around the table. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I can't believe you just said that. Perhaps you've heard her at a woman's event or a parenting or homeschool conference or on her own show, The Parenting with Ginger Hubbard podcast. Welcome to the show, Ginger.
2: Thank you so much, Jamie. I have been so excited to be on with you three because I follow the ministry that you have and I see the difference that you're making in the lives of all these moms and just have so much respect for your work and the way that you honor God. So I am just truly honored to be on the podcast with you guys. Well, we are so
0: glad you're here. Ginger, you talk and have written a lot about taming the tongue, but what kind of offenses are we talking about here? What does that include besides just, you know, lying? What else should parents be mindful of when we're trying to tame those tongues?
2: Well, there is a long list of tongue-related offenses that we need to be mindful of, and not just our children, but ourselves as well. And so, I mean, the list could go on and on, but just to name a few, whining, complaining, arguing, gossiping, blame-shifting, manipulating, and the list goes on and on. And, you know, when it comes to helping our children with these struggles, we want to keep in mind that we live in a nation that defies God at every point, including child training, And, you know, it's not that parents don't desire to raise obedient, respectful kids. I think it's safe to say that we all desire that, but I think many parents fail to achieve those results. And I believe that reason is twofold. I think the first problem is that so many parents in an attempt to get their children to obey and to show that verbal respect have adopted these faulty child training methods, which fail to reach the heart. They've kind of developed this philosophy that they could get their children to act right to behave, to speak with respect, that they're raising them the right way. But there is so much more to parenting than getting our children to act right and to speak with respect. We want to get them to think right and to be motivated out of a love of virtue, a love for God, rather than just a fear of punishment. So failure to reach the heart is the first problem. And then the second problem is that parents are just not following the instructions in the instruction manual. I once heard Roy Lesson compare God's instructions for parents to an owner's manual for a new appliance. You know, when you buy a new appliance, the manufacturer provides you with an instruction manual that tells you how to use the appliance and how to keep it in the best working order. And if something goes wrong with that appliance, then the customer is encouraged to contact the manufacturer for repairs. And it's the same with families the family was God's idea. He brought it into being. And in the Bible, he's given us instructions for how it operates best. And when parents experience problems with the training of their kids, he's also given us open communication with him through prayer. And he tells us
1: in James 1, 5, that when we ask him for wisdom,
2: he promises that he'll give it to us.
1: I love that, Ginger. And I love that you said love of virtue. If we could get that into our children, into ourselves, even that that is such a powerful just those three words. I love that. But speaking of virtue, I mean, I've noticed a trend on social media the last couple of years. Parents seem almost proud of their kids for talking back. It's crazy and for disagreeing and speaking their mind because they see that as nurturing a child who will question authority and speak up for injustice I get that. But at the same time, what's your response to that? Where do we draw the line between raising a child who will stand up for what's right, but who is also disrespectful and rude? Hmm. Well, of
2: course, we want our children to stand up for what's right and true and to speak up against injustices. We also want them to share from their hearts that we want to know about their thoughts and their opinions and how they're feeling. But it's also important that they learn how to do that in ways that are respectful And one of the ways we can teach our children to do that is by requiring them to practice that biblical alternative to their wrong behavior. In other words, it's never enough to just verbally instruct our kids in what not to do. We have to instruct them in what to do. We have to teach them how to replace what is wrong with what is right. And then most important, we want to have them actually go back and do that. When we require our children to practice that biblical alternative to their sinful behavior, we're teaching them how to apply God's word to daily life. So you mentioned kids uh, really struggling with being disrespectful. So let's say that a child is wanting to express their opinion or stand up for what they believe is right or some injustice maybe that we've done against them. And they speak disrespectfully to the parent. And then the parent comes back and says, that was disrespectful. You shouldn't speak to me like that. Now go to your room. But you see, that is ineffective child training because the most important part is left out. We shouldn't just rebuke and discipline the child who's speaking disrespectfully. We want to have them come back and practice that biblical alternative by communicating the right way, using the appropriate words and the appropriate tone of voice. And for many kids, particularly mine, as they grew into their teen years, the appropriate facial expression. (laughs) When we train our children in what's right and require them to practice what's right, we're teaching them how to grow in wisdom and we're preparing them to govern their own actions for future situations. And so I talk about this a lot in my book. Books, and I refer to it as the practice principle. You know, imagine trying to teach your child how to tie his shoes without the practice principle. It's not gonna work. Just verbally walking him through that process is not going to be enough. At some point, you would have to physically demonstrate how it's done, and then require that child to practice it on his own. And so if the practice principle is vital for teaching such morally neutral tasks as tying shoes, how much more important is it for training children in Christlike character?
0: September has shared several times on the podcast. I'm thinking back to the episode when we talked about how to hold our child's disappointment. She shared a great resource for how a child can make an appeal. So mom, if mm-hmm. you're listening. And you would like some tips on what to do when a child does disagree or want to challenge, quote unquote, air quotes, challenge authority. That's a great tool to teach your kids to challenge or make an appeal or, you know, whatever else you want to call it in a respectful way, um, starting when they're really, really young. But Ginger, I'm going to push back a little bit and say that undisciplined tongues aren't just a kid problem. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. They're a national epidemic. Mm -hmm. People just seem ruder and crasser and bolder with their speech than ever before. And I'm sure every generation has echoed that. But, you know, in my 40 years, I feel like it's gotten worse and worse. There are just times when my kids will say something and I know that they've learned those words or that response from me. But then there are other times when they say something or maybe they react in a certain way. And I think to myself, where did you even learn that? (laughs) So what's a mom to do when she feels like some of the negative influences are unavoidable? They're just out there in the world. Can the tide even be turned?
2: Well, Jamie, I can so relate because when my kids were little, I used to be shocked by some of the things that would come out of their mouths, whether it was whining or lying or talking back or complaining or whatever. And I would think that same question as you, you know, where did you even learn that or why do you act like that is something that I was prone to say and think about my kids. But after a closer look at the Word of God, I began to realize that I was asking the wrong questions. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus explained, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, there's merit to that old saying, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Our sin does not begin with our mouths. It begins with our hearts. The sin that shows up in our words, it comes from inside us, and it starts a whole lot sooner than we might think. King David proclaimed, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And so when parents truly grasp just the origin of sin and just the total depravity of the human race in general, we no longer have to question why our children sin. So I slowly learned to stop asking, why does my child sin? And instead, I begin to ask myself, when my child sins, how might I point him to the fact that he is a sinner, just like I am, in need of a Savior? How can I really help him understand and live in that transformational power of Christ?
0: Mm. And I guess I would just add, before we move any further, you know, kids are in process. They're learning different words and how to use their language. And sometimes they can repeat something or say something that they've heard, and they don't even really know what it means or how mm. to use it. And if we just react with this bold explosion and make a big deal out of it, as instead of using it as a teaching opportunity, we're actually cutting off or could be potentially cutting off communication with our kids. I know my grown adult daughter came home a couple weeks ago. And she used this phrase and I looked at her and I said, I don't think that's very appropriate. And she turned really red in the face and she said, well, I heard a friend say that. And I thought it meant this. And I was like, nope, nope. it actually means that." <laughs> and she got so embarrassed and she's like, mom, I'm so sorry. I had Aww. no idea that's what that meant. Mm-hmm. And I didn't make it a big deal. It was a teaching opportunity, even for my grown adult daughter.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, Jamie, I just wanted to mention, you said in your question, people seem ruder and crasser than they used to be. Well, I grew up in the used to be, you know, those decades, <laughs> 50s, 60s, 70s, and things are definitely ruder. People mm-hmm. say things today that they would never have said 30, 40 years ago. I find it a, a lot on on certain TV shows where, particularly on cable, we don't watch a lot on there, but every now and then the writers are writing in modern day language and they're using words that were not spoken in the 50s and 60s. And it always just makes me go, well, they're they're those modern day writers that don't have a clue what society was like back then. And it was much more polite, much kinder. We did not, we might've thought them, but we didn't say them.
0: Excuse me for a minute, Mamas, while I interrupt this wonderful conversation to say one small inconvenient truth that's been weighing on my mind lately. It's late February, as you know, And as we've slowly, oh, so slowly inched toward nicer weather here in the near tundra of Minnesota, cabin fever has settled in for a long stay in my home. This time of year is hard. It's hard on my kids who can't always get outside to play due to freezing temps. And consequently, it's hard on me. That's why I'm especially grateful for resources like KiwiCo in these first few months of spring. KiwiCo delivers enriching, hands-on experiences that spark curiosity and inspire creativity so there's no I'm bored complaints. Kids can discover the engineering and mechanics behind everyday objects, the science and chemistry of cooking, geography and cultures, and brand new art and design techniques, all through seriously fun, hands-on projects. My boys always look forward to delivery day when our mail carrier brings a brand new crate their way. Truth be told, I do too. I look forward to the hours of constructive creativity that I know lie ahead. I'm always amazed at how high quality the materials are too. These are real engineering, science, and art projects for children. Each crate helps my kids explore new worlds and rediscover familiar ones, even without leaving home. Making kiwi crates the perfect project for these long February days. So redefine learning with play. Explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence and problem-solving skills with Kiwico. Get fifty percent off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code MomToMom at Kiwico.com. That's 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O Promo code mom to mom Well, I'm enjoying this conversation. I think it's, you know, obviously we're all a work in progress, all of us, taming our tongues, and it's a lifetime pursuit. I can share that from experience even just this week with my own tongue and my, my children. But Ginger, do you have any quick... Go to tools or tips for our parents to
2: use, like in those moments? Like in the heat of the moment. Well, I encourage September parents to take three steps when they're helping their children with tongue related struggles. And all three steps are based on scripture. So it's not anything that I came up with, it's just studying what the Word of God says. But step one is heart probing questions. And, you know, if you think about it, when someone did something wrong, Jesus didn't wave his finger in their face and say, This is what you did wrong, and this is what you should have done instead. That's not what he did. Jesus often used heart-probing questions, and in order for the people to answer those questions, they had to evaluate themselves because Jesus was a skilled heart-prober. He knew how to ask those questions in such a way that the people would have to take their focus off of the circumstances and the situations going on around them and onto the sin in their own hearts. For each verbal offense, I recommend that parents just start out with just a very simple, you know, maybe one or two heart-probing questions to help the child take a look at what's going on in their heart. And then in the Bible, in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, we're instructed to put off our old self and put on our new self. Those verses say you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on your new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. Step two is what to put off, what God's word says about that particular behavior and warnings about what it can lead to if it's continued. And then step three is what to put on, how to replace what is wrong with what is right. And September, as far as a quick go-to tool, I don't know if you guys are familiar with my Wise Words for Moms chart. It's just a quick reference flip chart. It has like 22 different behaviors, a lot of them being tongue-related offenses. They're all in alphabetical order, so it's very easy to check them out. It kind of looks like a calendar. I offer two or three suggested heart-probing questions to help parents get to the heart of each one of those behaviors, and then some verses as far as what to put off and what to put on. So that's a great tool. And then, of course, you guys mentioned my book, I Can't Believe You Just Said That, which is Biblical Wisdom for Taming Your Child's Tongue. And every chapter in that book has a different tongue-related offense. And I kind of go into a lot more depth there, and I offer a lot of parent-child dialogue so moms can see how these conversations can play out in very natural ways with their kids. And we'll be sure to put a link
0: to both of those resources in the show notes if you are listening and you would like to grab those for reference. Be sure to head to momtomompodcast.com slash
1: 75. Perfect. You know, Ginger, I just want to go back for a second because you were talking about behavior and those heart probing questions. I love that. When I heard you speak a couple of weeks ago, I loved so many of the examples that you gave. So just maybe pull one of those ways that kids speak and the way a mom can address that.
2: Okay. Well, we're always safe with disobeying. You know, everybody's kid is going to struggle with disobeying at some time or another and Especially those really little ones. So even our, these little bitty kids, we can just ask something very simple. Like say that you tell your child to come to you, like your three year old, and he doesn't. He just stubbornly refuses to obey. You know, one thing I really encourage is to always get down with those little kids, especially, and make eye to eye contact, and maybe even put your hand on their arm. Just have that touch so that you have their attention, and then ask a very simple for so a three year old heart probing question, like, "Honey, are you obeying, or are you disobeying?" And just asking that simple question, even if they don't answer you, they're still pondering that question in their heart. And that's going to help them at a very young age to start taking ownership for the sin that's in their heart, which is ultimately going to help them recognize their need for Jesus. So that's just a, a really you know simple question that we can ask, You know, maybe for an older child, say that you're talking and the child is constantly, mom, mom, mom you know, what a heart probing question we might get ask there, honey, are you thinking about others or yourself when you interrupt? Are you being kind or rude when you interrupt? What could you have done rather than interrupting? And then, you know, we always want to provide them with that means of escape, just like uh, Jamie was just talking about with the appeal process, you know, having the child respectfully say, you know, can I appeal or can I have, can I say something about this? That's providing them with a means of escape is teaching them without exasperating them. So like with interrupting, you might teach the child to put their hand on your arm and wait for you to give them permission to speak. That way they're not exasperated. And so it's all about getting to their heart, teaching them what to put off and then giving them also what to put on so that we're not exasperating them.
0: And I think so another good. part of that is to teach what some of those words mean. I mean, to, to use the word, are you obeying or disobeying, depending upon the age of your child, some of that needs to be taught even before you can ask that question. I know that September has shared a few things on previous episodes. I'm thinking of the episode about character training where, you know, you have to give your kids proper vernacular. Mm-hmm. Before you, we can even have these discussions.
2: Right. That is very important. And, you know, one thing, the way that I taught my children about obedience when they were really little, and I read about this in some parenting book somewhere. I don't remember which one, but it wasn't my idea. But I could hold up three fingers and I could say, how does God want you to obey? They knew to say all the way right away, and with a joyful heart. And that pretty much sums up biblical obedience. Now, we do want to make sure that our kids know that that applies to our authority and not necessarily all authority. Someone's doing something that makes them uncomfortable or or something like that. So those are conversations, you know, that we have with them as they get a little bit older. But just to that. define biblical obedience, that's how I taught my kids. It's all the way, right away, and with a joyful heart.
1: Mm-hmm. Applies to some of us parents too, just yep. obeying the
2: Lord. <laughs> right. And you, know, and, us. And, and, and you know, and Kate, that's such a great point right there is that we want our kids to be in the habit of obeying us the first time. And so that when they do hopefully surrender to the Lordship of Christ, they're going to find it a little bit easier to obey Him the first time because they're already in the habit of obeying. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I titled my book, Don't Make Me Count to Three. Before we begin that count to three, do we want our kids to be in the habit of obeying God the first time, the second time, or the third time? Mm, I think some of that accountability
0: falls on us, though, too, in that, you know, scripture also talks about don't provoke your children to wrath. And so if they're being trained to obey all the way right away and with a joyful heart, we have to make sure that our requests are not provoking them to wrath. Right.
2: That's right. And some of that is in also the way that we reprove. You know, the scriptures say a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So, you know, biblical discipline is not a formal, strict or legalistic way of teaching. It's something that is done with gentleness and respect for our children. God equates discipline with love. And so when we discipline in love, our children are going to equate discipline with love.
1: You make so many good points, Ginger. I hope moms listen to this a couple of times and take notes and get your books because you just have so much wisdom about this and a different way of thinking about it. It's not everything that I did when raising my daughter. I didn't I didn't have your books back 30 million years ago. I wish I had, but it just switches the script in my mind of how to correctly and lovingly speak to your children, but teaching them biblical principles is so good. I want to ask you about long-term tips. Do you have any elements of Ineffective discipline that a parent should avoid because that's only going to exacerbate the problem.
2: Mm, exactly. Well, when children speak offensively, I have found not myself, of course. I never made these these mistakes. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I totally pro- I made every mistake I've talked about in all of my books. Believe me. I've had to ask forgiveness many times for my kids. But I have found that as parents, we often respond in one of two ways when our children speak offensively. And these are the responses that we really want to avoid. We sometimes have this tendency to either ignore the child, hoping that he will just outgrow it one day, or we have a tendency just to administer some sort of consequences, hoping that, as we hear people say, to put the fear of God in them. But both methods are ineffective because they fail to train and instruct. Now, of course, there's going to be those occasions when ignoring may seem more convenient for us, because after all, it does take time to train our children up in the way they should go. But to ignore a child who is in need of correction and guidance, really, that is to selfishly place our own interest above the interest and the well-being of the child. And then on the other hand, consequences for wrong behavior, I mean, yeah, they definitely have their place, but they are not a substitute for training and instructing. Administering consequences without following through with that righteous training That really only teaches kids one thing, that there are consequences for sin. And while that is an important lesson, an even greater lesson is to help them understand that higher calling of living in ways that are pleasing to God and bring Him the glory He deserves. Our whole purpose in disciplining our children is not to merely teach them to avoid consequences, but to train and instruct and encourage them to honor God with their lives.
0: Yeah, if we just have a child who parrots back all the right things, you know, at the right times, we don't really have a child who has a heart posture willing and ready to serve the Lord. We just kind of have a
2: robot is what we mm-hmm. have. That's right. Well, and so that's why we're after the heart. And and just to kind of sum up what you just said, Jamie, if we can reach the heart, well, then the behavior is going to take care of itself.
0: Right. And that'll last for a lifetime, even after we're gone. If we do the hard work at the front end. And allow the Holy Spirit to do his work as well. Mm -hmm. Well, do you have any last minute words of encouragement, Ginger, for the mom who's just struggling to help her child tame his or her tongue?
2: I do. I just want to say that, you know, training our children, we can become very weary from that sometimes, especially when we're training them in some of these same behaviors over and over and over, especially some of the ones that can really get under our skin, like some of the ones we talked about today, interrupting and talking back and things like that, we can become very weary and having to take the time to train them. But we can all be encouraged with Galatians 6, 9. And that verse says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Training our children in righteousness In God's word, it is a process. But just like laboring in a garden, we will reap what we sow. So my final encouragement is just let's keep on sowing those seeds of righteousness and what better garden to plant those seeds than the fertile soil of our children's hearts and to God be the glory.
1: Amen. Ginger,
0: thank you so much. That was an amazing word to the moms that listen here at the mom to mom podcast to close on. I'd wondered if you could share with our listeners where we can find you and your resources for those that will be listening to this and want to find out more.
2: Okay. You can find out more about my resources and check out the Parenting with Ginger Hubbard podcast at my website, which is gingerhubbard.com. I also offer daily encouragement for parents on Instagram at ginger.hubbard. Wonderful.
0: Well, as moms, we need to lead by example
2: in every area of parenting,
0: but especially in this. If we want children who speak kindly who tell the truth, who are honoring in a way they speak to us and also to others, then they need to see that modeled by us. If all those many verses in scripture that Ginger shared today about taming the tongue teach us anything, it's that an unfettered tongue is a problem that everyone struggles with. But since most of those verses were directed at grown adults who've had already spent a lifetime unleashing whatever words came to them, they should also remind us that God doesn't think it is ever too late to tame any tongue. Not ours, not our kids. So if lying, disrespect, unkindness, whining, or even tattling has been a consistent problem in your home, you can start today, Mama. Lead the charge by example and ask the Holy Spirit to transform the talk of your home. Thank you so much, Ginger, for joining us. And thank you, Mama, for listening. If you've enjoyed our conversation, Kate, September, and I would love it if you left us a positive rating or review over on iTunes or Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you happen to be listening from.